Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 19, and we're recording on Monday, September 23rd. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Rebecca Shinsky. We're the editors of BookRiot.com. We're running late this week. We're so sorry, We're friends. so sorry. We're sorry. We had a guest lined up um, that we did a show, me and a guest, uh, last Friday, but Skype um, spit the bit and ruined our lovely file uh, show. The, I was, I have to say, witty, charming. Um, smart, uh, particularly erudite that day. Mm, and that I'm so be sorry to have missed I it. I know, right. Well, you'll never know how much um, hay I'm throwing at you right now. But um, we, well, I'm not going to spoil the special guest right now because I hope to get her back, and I want that to be a surprise. Um, but the the upshot is we got Rebecca. Yeah, I'm, I'm beached. I'm <laughs> as tan as a tiny red-headed lady can be. <laughs> You're more, like, I, more like seared, probably. Yeah, I'm a little seared, uh, slightly pickled, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and happy to be back. I think maybe Skype just missed me last week. It's good. Maybe it decided, you know what, just wait a few days. Don't be so anxious. The people can wait. Um, there's a lot to talk about. We got even, we've got an extra few days to pick up stories. Um, but before we do that, let's do our sponsor, Squarespace, squarespace.com, your beautiful all-in-one solution to host create and manage your very own website. Um, what I want to talk about today is customer service, award-winning customer service for squarespace.com. They have over 70 customer service folks available somewhere on the island of Manhattan. I don't know where they keep those guys, but um, they're there 24 hours a day to answer your questions. You cannot say that about every blogging platform, can you, Rebecca? You know that you as well. You cannot. I if, you, if you've started on, say, Blogger or yeah. WordPress and are self-taught, especially mm-hmm. <laughs> not knowing what the heck you're doing and ever tried to get someone to answer a question, you know that it's not easy. It's not easy. So you can but at Squarespace, it Squarespace is. Squarespace.com, it is easy. I can vouch for it myself. I use it for my own personal blogs. Um, BettyWhiteMudWrestling.org. Um, this so, gets it, your, your sample blog gets more exciting. I know, time, over Jeff. time. It's, by, the, by the time I finish doing these Squarespace spots, I might actually have something I'll have to start uh, for real. Um, you got a special code. Go Squarespace.com. You can get 20% off for September. It ends uh, September 30th, so go try it. Use the offer code RIOT9. You get 20% off. Squarespace does cost you something um, where Blogger doesn't and some WordPress, WordPress installations do, but it's a premium service. And I think if you're going to spend any time at all about a website you care about, you can spend the 8 or 10 bucks a month depending on your package. You sign up for a year, then you also get a free domain name registration. Unfortunately, BettyWhiteMudWrestling.org is taken. Nah, not that I would know that, um, but you could find another great um, domain for your website. So go to squarespace.com, use the code RIOT9, and get yourself a brand new website. They look great. They work great. You'll love it. I promise you. And okay. if you give it a shot, let us know. We'd love yeah, to check it out. Yeah, we want to see if you make something, make something new. Or if you're already on Squarespace, 
we want to check it out too. A lot of great templates you can use and customize super easy there. Okay. Well, the big story actually broke on Friday. Friday afternoon. That's sneaky. So this would have been in our next show, actually. Mm -hmm. But we caught them. (laughs) Technical error. Let us catch Goodreads. Changing their review guidelines. Um, <laughs> so basically, there's been some misbehavior on both the author side and the reviewer side on Goodreads. Um, mm-hmm. Labeled as bullying, sometimes appropriately and sometimes in exaggeration. I've, yeah, I'm, I feel like bullying is having its moment as being overu- over and misused. Yeah. But maybe I'm, I'm wrong about that. Um, basically, Goodreads has decided that it is not cool to talk about an author in a review of a book. And if you do it and it gets flagged, they can go and delete the review or the shelf or the list um, that that review or reviews appear on without telling you and without mm-hmm. your knowledge necessarily. That's it in a nutshell, right? Basically, um, that you can say this book was terrible and the author can't write worth a darn, mm-hmm. but you can't say... Um, you can say anything negative about the author's behavior. Um, I saw on Twitter today a, a Goodreads reviewer noting that their review of a book that was related to a children's issue had been pulled because they noted in the review that the author was a convicted pedophile. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's an interesting slippery slope, but I did also kind of go digging for uh, some information about authors who claimed that they had been bullied on Goodreads. And Goodreads, in addition to pulling reviews, is also deleting shelves. Um, if you're a Goodreads user, you can collect books onto shelves that you design yourself. You can label them anything that you want on any theme that makes sense to you. And some Goodreads users have been labeling things like author is a terrible person. Um, one of the authors who's spoken out about feeling bullied on Goodreads saw a shelf um, that included her book with the tag or the label author should be sodomized. Um, you know, so clearly some inappropriate behavior yeah. on the part of reviewers here. But also uh, it, this move is being perceived as many, the many uh, people who are vocally outspoken against it as a step of Goodreads indicating that they care more about uh, protecting authors' happiness uh, than necessarily honoring what the readers who use the service are there to do. Um, There's a lot of yelling about this on the internet. I'm kind of glad I was on vacation, Jeff. Uh, Yeah, I kind of dodge it. I'm not a Goodreads user myself. It seems like this is even more off-putting to people than the Amazon acquisition because it's actually a material effect on the service. Yeah, I I did see um, that Goodreads has responded to the numerous comments that reviewers said, you know, it's it's just not cool to go remove my reviews without any kind of notice. Right. Goodreads was just deleting them. They weren't providing any advance notice. They weren't providing any notice after the fact. Or reasoning or um, whatever. Or reasoning. But apparently now they're offering a 24-hour notice. Mm-hmm. Um how detailed that will be and whether you'll have the opportunity to essentially revise and resubmit your review so that it can stay um, and be acceptable under the Goodreads policy is is yet to be determined. But people you know, feel like they've put a lot of work into their Goodreads collections. And I think this feels like a violation to users for Goodreads to come in to their reviews and delete them without letting them know, yeah. um, to alter what, what users perceive as their content. Um, but it brings up the, an interesting point, I think, that when you use a free service like Facebook mm-hmm. or Goodreads, um, it's never exactly free. You know, like your, your data is what you pay with. 
right. uh, for a service like this. And Goodreads makes its money um, selling promotional space to mm-hmm. publishers and authors. And of course, that's who they have to cater to. Yeah. Uh, look, I'm, I think I'm in favor, and there's a bit of a, a, bit of a groundswell of um, against anonymity, trying to mm-hmm. encourage good behavior. Huffington Post recently has is thinking about moving away from having anonymous con comments um, and creating some spaces um, that are not quite as harsh as any large website really can get if it's not yeah. policed early. I'm, I guess I'm, I'm of two minds about these changes. At one level, you can't say the author should be sodomized. Yeah, I mean, you can you just can't do that. Right, that's that, just there's not There's no okay. place for that. And frankly, if someone did that, I wouldn't just get rid of the review. I'd ban them. Mm-hmm. Um, cause if you're the kind of person that writes that, I don't want you on my site. Frank, that's just me being honest. Like I think there's something about Goodreads that they might think about rather than just trying to get big and big and big. Um, cause they're getting, they're super big and getting bigger yeah. every day that maybe what they want is not as many users as they can, but as many quality users as they mm-hmm. can get. So I'm in favor of that kind of move. If you're a jerk like this, Get off my lawn. You know, I mean, that, that, that I really do believe that. And maybe they just didn't foresee when they started yeah. that people would use the labels no. and the tags this Good way. Enough. That you, yeah, you don't want to. You don't want to assume from the very beginning that people are going to abuse the mm-hmm. power that you give them with a tool. But I, I think um, as a person who you know, part of my job is community management right. for Book Riot. That if they had had really active, involved community managers earlier on, um, rather than sort of a definition of community manager as just a social media output, exactly, yeah. they could have controlled and prevented a lot of this with um, with community managers responding anytime and every time they saw something that was inappropriate by just jumping in and, and being there, by seeing what's going up and saying yeah. this is inappropriate, um, rather than relying on readers to always report and flag things and then to handle it on a case-by-case basis. Um, like, like we've had a policy at Book Riot from the outset that you can disagree as fervently as you want and you can even be sort of a jerk, but mm-hmm. you can't be abusive. Right. You can't um, call people to- names. Right. You can't be abusive to our writers or to your fellow readers in comments. And if you do, you get one warning. Mm-hmm. And then if you don't shape up, we'll ban you. Yep. Um, and that seems to keep the community happy and respectful of each other. Right. Mm-hmm. And and Goodreads has problems we don't. I mean, they have 10 times as many readers in a given sure. month that we do. So they're just going to have a lot more of it. And they have more, you know, their whole site is basically written by readers. So they have much more reader created content. We basically have comments in addition to the post. So we don't have as much that. I think there's a philosophical question, though, that Goodreads is kind of glossing over and that, you know, they're defining what a book review is here, really. Mm -hmm. And that is, it's something that's about the book and writing about the author is not cool. It's not a part of what a book review is or should be. Um, now again, if you say someone is, is magnificently handsome or charming or generous or altruistic, probably you're not going to have your review deleted for that because no one's going to flag it. Mm -hmm. Um, but to say they're also, you know, to do the converse and say they're a criminal or a pedophile or a jerk or whatever, that's still the same philosophical thing. You're talking about the author rather than the work itself. And, and a lot of times that's irrelevant, but sometimes it is relevant. Right. And 
And we've talked about this several times yep. on the show already of to what extent you can or can't separate an author's behavior from the work that they create, um, particularly, you know, with reference to Ender's Game and Orson Scott Card and his outspoken anti-gay views. Um, a, a friend of ours, uh, Nate, who writes a site called The Digital Reader, wrote a post about this that I thought was interesting where he said, you know, I want a book review to provide me with information that um, helps me determine whether I want to buy and read a book. Right. And for many readers, information about the author is information that helps them determine if they want to buy and read a book. And we've we've seen online that knowing this about Orson Scott Card, that he is vocally anti-gay, has affected readers' decisions about where to spend their money and how to spend their reading time. Um, and I, I suppose that under these new Goodreads guidelines, a mention of that would not be yeah. acceptable in the review, even though readers are, have, are already indicating that this is valuable information for them to have. So I, I think it's a really interesting slippery slope mm-hmm. that they're on now. Um, yeah. The bit about the uh, uh, convicted pedophile writing a book that's somehow related to children and that review um, being deleted, that, especially if I were a parent, um, I think that information would be interesting to me and potentially useful in my decision about whether to bring that book into my home. Yeah. Let me, so the Orson Scott card is a good one, uh, example. Because I was thinking, like, what if I left a review on Ender's Game, which I read for the first time this summer and really liked? Mm-hmm. And my review goes something like this. I just read Ender's Game. I thought it was great. Uh, it was a page-turner, um, great characters, grand action. Um, you know, and it kept me, you know, I was up late reading it several nights in a row. I thought it was a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to the movie. But after I read it, I realized that Ars- Orson Scott Card is against gay civil rights and I wish I wouldn't have read the book because I don't agree with his politics. Um, I think it's reasonable to think if someone else flagged that, that, that might get pulled. That's the I think kind so of review too. that would get pulled. Mm-hmm. And I'm not cool with that, I don't think. Yeah, I'm not cool with it either. And I was thinking of, of an example from my own reading life. Um, several years ago, I was at the National Book Festival, and I saw uh, Nicholas Sparks speak in a tent in between, it was pouring down rain, and uh, John Irving was first, and Juno Diaz was going after Nicholas Sparks. And so I sat and listened to him speak in between those two that I wanted to hear. Um, Nicholas Sparks is just not my bag. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard the talk. I was not impressed with his behavior. And then later, um, I saw that there was a young a teenage girl who had waited in line in his signing line for a while um, to get him to sign a pile of books. This little girl loved Nicholas Sparks mm-hmm. and had all of his books. And she got up, she finally got up to the line and he wouldn't sign any of her books because he was only willing to sign hardcover copies of his newest book. And little oh. girl was in tears and she walked away. And I thought like, okay, jerk, if I were ever going to read one of your books, I'm never going to now. Oh, I um, hate the spark. No. <laughs> right. It's just bad news, man. Um, that, but I would put that, like, I yeah. did eventually read a Nicholas Sparks book as a challenge from a fellow blogger, and I wrote about it. And I can imagine if I were an active Goodreads user that not only information about the book, but about the behavior that I saw him display totally. would have found its way into my review because that completely colors my impression of, of a guy who especially has, especially when you're an author who has swimming pools of money. Yeah, um, right. You can't behave that way with your readers. It's just not cool. Well, especially he can. At, I mean, that's unfortunately that he can't. Yeah, I mean, but it made me want to kick him in the shins, Jeff. <laughs> right, I understand. Uh, and I would have told all of Goodreads that. Mm-hmm. And I like that, you know, as a reader would have 
shaped my decision about um, whether to spend my time and money for him. But I think Goodreads would have flagged that too. Yeah. I mean, so example, this is just language right out from the new policy on Goodreads. Reviews with off-topic, irrelevant comments about the author's personal life will be deleted. I mean, I guess... <laughs> Wait, the example there. For example, if the author owes you money, yeah, that is not appropriate that's, information. That's a weird one. Or, or like, the author stiffed your kid at a signing. That Yeah. Right? If, if the author owes you money, feels like there's a story behind yeah, how that, that example happened. Right. Um, and, you know, again, back to the sort of philosophical underpinnings. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting for us to think about, too, because... One way we've imagined Book Riot from the beginning is it's not about books only, it's about the reading life Mm -hmm. and all the things that go into loving books and loving to read and how we think and feel and talk about the people who write the books that we love and the books that we hate and the books we find interesting is part of the reading process to my mind. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not to say that someone can't misbehave, um, but I I think maybe Goodreads drew the line, they crossed a line that I find troubling mm-hmm. um, about codifying what's an appropriate way to talk about books. You know, it's like, yeah. I think readers have a way of, you know, telling you what they want and don't want. Um, and, you know, you're, I think it's they're well within their right to say, don't be a jerk. Mm-hmm. But to not say, I don't think it's being a jerk to say that this thing happened and it affected how I think about the the author. And, you know, you might want to do this if you're thinking about buying Nicholas Sparks books. Yeah. I think that's, that's completely fair. And I understand the problem they have because they can't verify this information and can get into flame wars. Um, but when you have, a, you know, millions of people writing your content for you, you know, it's like, it's like they say in the Godfather, this is the business we've chosen. I think mm-hmm. you, you, you got to take a little bit of the heat. Um, and you know, I would worry about my readers first and not worry about authors. That, that's kind of the other thing I would say is like, yeah, it seems so, so worried about authors and I just can't believe it's that a higher percentage of the people that use it. Yeah. I think it's, uh, some of it is about who butters your bread, right? Like it's authors Wait, and publishers. The authors? Oh, the publisher. Yeah. Okay. And, and a lot of, uh, from what I have heard and from, you know, publishing sources, and I've heard some Goodreads employees speak at conferences. There are a lot of authors, particularly self-published authors or mid-list authors from regular publishing houses, but the publishers aren't putting money behind the book, so the authors are putting their own money into mm-hmm. it, who do purchase, um, you know, ads and giveaway spots at Goodreads. Right. And, so, and so those are Goodreads customers, um, and they are invested, especially now um, with Amazon, in keeping those customers happy. I think it's interesting that this sort of ignores a large component of something that I and I think you have seen online is that this is not a one-way street. It's not just that there are reviewers behaving in allegedly abusive ways toward writers, but that reviewers will often, you know, make statements that are not abusive and writers take it that way or mm-hmm. they they just write a negative review of the book. There's been a lot of talk in book blogging in the last couple of years from authors about blogging like it's like bloggers are supposed to support authors right. and, and are supposed to be nice and like nothing makes me want to kick you in the shins harder than being told to be nice. Um, you know, be nice when you review my book. A negative review is bullying. Saying my book is bad is bullying. Why not just ignore it and, uh, and 
many bloggers have written publicly on Goodreads and on their own blogs about interactions that they've had with authors after having written something that that to my standards is not abusive, but is an objectively negative review of a book um, and being attacked and harassed by authors or an author's family um, after doing so until and sort of being battered into pulling that negative review down or issuing an apology. And mm-hmm. it's it's ugly on both sides of the street, but there are two sides. Right. And it's, you know, it's it's a nice problem for Goodreads to have in a way because it means there's so many people using it that people are using it in in nefarious ways like that's mm-hmm. it could be 0.001% of the people but when you do this this kind of um volume in terms of reviews that means that's going to be hundreds if not thousands of reviews that are going to do things yeah. that they don't think is a, a, and, you know they don't think is cool and as for the sort of the present outrage about the new policy i think this is going to be long term sort of the same response as the outrage when Goodreads sold to Amazon, which is that a a small number of people will make a lot of noise for Mm -hmm. a short period of time, but it didn't affect Goodreads in a significant way. There were people who left when they sold to Amazon, but not enough people that anybody ever talked about it beyond like two weeks later. Um, And I think in another couple of weeks, we'll have forgotten this. I'm interested to see how it, how it plays out and also how well they can actually implement this because Mm -hmm. to police things at this level, you've got to be, you have to have a team of community managers that are reading content in in a much more engaged fashion than they have previously been reading the content that's generated by readers to determine what's acceptable and what's not. Um, If they are planning to do this in a in a big way and to not just rely on what readers flag. Right. And and you and they're going to be required to make judgment calls. Right. Um which isn't easy as both you and I know even mm-hmm. about comments that like kind of just rub us the wrong way. Yeah. It's hard to know where that line is between that, you know, I don't really like that to that is sort of not okay in a in a more objective way that yeah, has to go off the site. Um, I don't know. I don't think this move by itself is necessarily a game changer, but it, I can see that it could be kind of the first step on a longer path mm-hmm. away from the more vibrant user-generated community that Goodreads has. I mean, they have used shelves and tagging in these really creative ways. Um, and if you start curtailing some of that activity... I wonder if it becomes less vibrant over time and, you know, what's the next step? I, I don't know. Can, is the next step you can't, um, I, I don't, I'm trying to think of, you know, one of the examples they say, harsh critical statements that apply to a book with a writing it, such as this guy can't write a lick or this book is absolute trash mm-hmm. that, that they do allow, Yeah, but you can see that that might, that kind of thing might be the next step. <laughs> Yeah, I think you could certainly make a case that this book is absolute trash is not a constructive critical opinion. Right. Um, so if they're going to start getting into the business of what is and isn't a book review, yeah. you're, then you're walking right up to having that conversation about what is and isn't an appropriate critical opinion. And that's right. And, and that, you know forgets that, that forgets that Goodreads users aren't book critics. Right. They're people, they're readers who... When readers talk to each other, they say things like, this book is absolute trash. That's right. And the other thing that's going to happen is, as you constrain some sorts of speech, the people that want to use any kind of form 
for their personal agenda are going to use, are going to amend their behavior to quote unquote, follow the rules. Right. Mm, right. So it could be that if someone wants to say that this was person was a jerk to me at this um, festival or whatever, that could morph into blasting all of their books and saying they're all absolute trash and giving them one star. Like mm-hmm. that outlet that I wonder how much of this negative feeling that Goodreads is trying to curtail is just going to reshape itself into things that now, quote unquote, fit the rules. I'm not sure about that. Um, Because you could see a, you know, you could see a concerted campaign against an author um, who has done something untoward in their real life, but they're not allowed, readers aren't allowed to write about that in Goodreads. Mm -hmm. That then becomes this sort of a acceptable smear campaign, right? I mean, you could see it pretty easily happening. Well, and, um, and, and then bloggers what, what Goodreads is going to do? Yeah, for as long as blogs have existed, bloggers have found ways to to Google bomb people. Yeah, that's right. Um, where a couple of years ago, when I was pretty new to blogging, I remember seeing something where um, it had been discovered, some an act of plagiarism, a pretty big extensive act of plagiarism mm-hmm. had been discovered. And the blogger who was a big popular blogger at the time um, who made the discovery was just out for blood. And mm-hmm. she she led this Google bombing thing where um, she asked everyone in her community who read her blog to also write a blog post in which um, they linked the author's, the URL from the author's homepage to the state, like to some really incendiary, horrible statement um, with the exact same wording. And if enough people do that by the power of Google, when you Google the person's name, it will, you know, start Mm, to generate all all of those multiple sites that have linked with this incendiary, horrible statement about the person. Yeah. Uh, you couldn't, you couldn't game Goodreads that way, but you could take your negative sentiment mm-hmm. somewhere else. I think it's, I think you're right that if, if a reader is out to, to get an author um, on Goodreads or an author is out to, to get a, to get a, a reviewer who said their book was absolute trash. I mean, the, the, the truth is we're still really in the early days of this sort of crowdsourced endeavor. Yeah. Yelp and it's, and, Goodreads and other things like it. And they're now getting to such scale. That's kind of like the West, you know, early in the days, it's a wild West. It's kind of exciting and you're yeah. riding your horse and, you know, f- discovering things. But then after a while, it's like front street shootouts and you need the law, right? right. Yeah. The law of the, the land law has- is kind of coming down on these places. And it's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out. I mean, I think some of these mining towns to, to continue and torture this metaphor a little farther are <laughs> going to close up on. shop. I'll just be over here putting on my spurs. <laughs> yeah. Some of them are going to close up and some of them will become San Francisco. And it's, it's a little too early to tell which is going to be which. Um, but I think if I'm Goodreads, maybe I want, I need to do something about the vitriolic behavior, but they went so far as to then delimit what you can say the the nature of the kinds of things you can talk about, not just how you talk about them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a difference that they're not really attuned to here. Yeah, I think it's interesting. They do have an, an added dimension since you've mentioned in a little bit about what we found mm. with Book Riot, like with, with our comments on Book Riot or with our interactions with our readers on Facebook or Twitter. It's it's just between us and them. You know, mm-hmm. we, we say something, they say something. And if they step out of line, it's ultimately our call to remove them from right. our sandbox. Goodreads has created a sandbox that anybody can play in. And they're, 
Goodreads is essentially now the third party to these conversations yeah. between reviewers and authors, and they're having to sort of moderate between both of those sides and decide in each case, I guess, you know, who, who is more right or mm-hmm. who has more, who's more entitled to be upset, um, where they come down on what gets deleted and what doesn't. And that adds a whole dimension of complexity to those interactions because yeah. it's not just a gut feeling of, of like, we sort of have spidey senses of mm-hmm. what's appropriate and what's not in the way that people talk to us at our site. Um, but this is what's appropriate and what's not in the way that two other people who are not me relate to each other yeah. Yeah, that's is, really is tough to that's really tough to um to marshal um yeah. how that works out anyway so that's the kind of thing we find really interesting it's you know goodreads is one of the big stories in this new world of uh-huh. um bookish technology that we're living in and any that's a significant change is a significant change as they've had in their policy recently and it has that added sort of salaciousness of did amazon tell them to do this or is there some other motivation here what's mm-hmm. going on and I think people are especially eagle-eyed for changes in Goodreads behavior. Um, and that's – my sense is that this isn't an Amazon thing. Like this is something they needed to address in some mm-hmm. fashion, you know, whether or not they'd been acquired um, recently or not. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's a little bit – it's a little bit of the problem of if they would have done this three years ago. Right. Um but now it's like you've let the termites, you know, hang out a little too while, and you've got to do much more radical intervention to get them out. If you nip it in the bud when it's when it's still a bud, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Instead of taking a chainsaw to right. a part of the forest, yeah, it's it's much more doable. Um, if you are listening to the show here and you're a Goodreads user and this is news to you and you have thoughts about it, um, I and we would love to hear um, your reactions to it from from where we're sitting. Sort of everybody in the bookish internet world is talking about this, but that's right. a that's a tiny bubble compared to the number of people that use Goodreads and that love the service. So um, hit us up podcast at bookriot.com. Yeah. or on Twitter or Facebook and let us know what you think about these review guidelines, if it'll change the way that you write reviews, the way that you read them, or you know anything else. We'd love yeah, to hear we'd it. We'd be interested to hear about that. Okay. Let's go to what I guess is a good story. I'm not sure about that. I, I, I don't think I should be as conflicted about this next one as I am. Um, <laughs> well, it has a great photo with it. It does have a great photo. So James Patterson, um, Mystery Factory. I'd, yes. I'd say he's written a lot himself. He's the most, um, uh, I guess, the highest earning author in the English language. He might be in the world. I don't. I don't remember. I saw recently he topped it like two hundred eighty million dollars a year or something Oof. crazy like that. Maybe he wants to adopt. Him. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what he wants to adopt? Independent bookstores. Oh, look at that segue. Did you see that? That was nice. You're so smooth. Anyway, um, James Patterson wants to. He's long been an, an outspoken supporter of independent bookstores. He took out a, an, an ad in the Times, was it, mm-hmm. last summer? Just it was, yeah, last summer, I think. Some saying, you know, independent bookstores are cool and we should buy print books. He now says he wants to give $1 million, $1 million American dollars. $1 million. To independent bookstores. Um, and he, he did an interview with CBS this morning. And he said, we're making the transition to ebooks, and that's fine and good and terrific and wonderful, but we're not doing it in an organized, sane, civilized way. So what's happening right now is a lot of bookstores are disappearing. Patterson says he hopes the funds will support everything from raise, raises for staff who haven't gotten them in years to larger projects. And then there's two qualifications for a bookstore to get some of this Patterson dough, and that is that bookstores have a viable business model 
and that their shops include a, include a children's section. I have some questions about methodology. So many, so many. <laughs> Is it methodology corner? We haven't had methodology corner. We haven't. Let's episodes. have one. Um. Okay. <laughs> Can we go back? To the previous statement that he made before we have real methodology yes, corner. Yes. I want to have, I dispute your definition methodology corner. Um, we're making this transition to ebooks and that's fine and good and terrific and wonderful. Yes. But we're not doing it in an organized, sane, civilized way. Okay. First of all, James Patterson, who is we? Um, who <laughs> yeah. is this we that's not doing it in an right. organized, sane, civilized way? Because from where I am sitting, as a person who spends most of my book dollars in independent bookstores and now giving nine ninety five a month to Oyster, which is the new love of my life, mm-hmm. um, it is sane and civilized, and this is a good and interesting and exciting, if not a little bit scary, evolution for yeah. books. And everybody is being organized and sane and civilized and strategic about it, except for independent bookstores. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I agree and disagree a little bit with what you say. I think... If I guess the generous reading of what he's saying is that um, it's happened fast and the divorce, there hasn't been as close of a link between print books and digital books. Like sure. we've long called for bundling, you know, like we basically hang out on the street corner with signs as bundle <laughs> or bust. Um, street corner bundle preachers. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so I, I think I kind of understand what he means. But really, if you bought a Kindle four years ago, it's been pretty civilized. It's yeah. insane and organized. Like you now buy your ebooks from Amazon. And I had a Sony reader three years ago that yeah. I could buy ebooks from the the first independent bookstores that were on the ebook wave. Sure, um, they're not. The American Booksellers Association, which is sort of the governing small business body of a lot of independent bookstores, has not been as organized and strategic. That's as they could have been unequivocally true. As I wish they had been. Uh, they haven't made the decisions that maybe would have served them the best mm-hmm. at each turn, but they have been trying, you yeah. know, slow, but they're making efforts. But I, I am not on board with this presentation of we're not doing it in an organized, so, state, civilized So what way. if we left that out, that first okay. part for you? Can we have a little thought experiment? Um, and he just said, you know, I want independent bookstores to stick around and I'm going to throw some cold, hard cash to help make sure some of them do. How, how do you feel about that? I feel like it's a dangerous situation yeah. for for-profit businesses to become charities. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, like, what happens after the James Patterson money goes right. away? Because, because he says it has to be a viable business. So if it's a viable business, they don't need like, money. What's a viable business model here? Yeah, like, I don't know. If, you sell books and people give you money for if, them. <laughs> If uh, what would be interesting here, if this is really about the transition to ebooks, yeah, is there you go. I was going to go there. Go Ooh. for it. Go for it. Uh, it's just nice how well we work together yeah, sometimes, know, right? Jeff. Is <laughs> if the deal here had to be not just a viable business model, but we're going to throw a million bucks towards bringing independent bookstores up to where to a place where they can more readily compete in the ebook game. Right. Um, so if you're an independent bookstore maybe, who's not hooked up yet with Kobo, um, which is you know selling the ebooks for a lot of independent bookstores, mm-hmm. um, but you have a, a good business model and say like a marketing plan for how you're going to present this to your readers, for your customers, how you're going to update your website to make it sustainable to sell ebooks online, 
what sort of promotional efforts you're going to have ongoing, how it's going to go into your newsletter, the coupons you're going to offer, you know, all that stuff, then we'll throw you a chunk of this million bucks to your independent bookstore to make your ebook initiative to, to get it off the ground. Yeah. I would I would get behind that. I want some more details, James Patterson. I mean, one million dollars has a nice ring to it, but it's actually it's not that much money. I mean, yeah. to to be like obtuse about it a little mm-hmm. bit, but you know, there are hundreds of independent bookstores in North America, um, and if you even if you just give them to twenty, that's fifty grand per store, which is nice. But is that a game changer? I'm just not sure. How, yeah. You know how you deploy this like, kind of money best. I, if you really think, want to support independent bookstores, not a big deal. I mean, I'm not philosophically opposed to that, but there's something about this that seems not only wrongheaded, but maybe a dangerous way of thinking about how to support something yeah, like... And- uh, like maybe he just didn't think it through all the way here. Well, if you and make two hundred mil- eighty million dollars, <laughs> you can psh, one million dollar mistake. Right, you know, not a big um, deal. If it's really about indie bookstores and and surviving in the digital age, something connected to an ebook initiative would make sense. Um, that that it's only a million dollars with the large number of independent bookstores that exist is concerning because how much money it's either a bunch of bookstores getting a little money mm-hmm. or a few bookstores getting a lot of money and neither of those situations is a long-term game changer yeah i mean um, what i i almost wonder if like it would be interesting if he's like i'm going to spend a quarter of a million dollars to open four bookstores in places and the the sort of hitch here that you also have to have a children's section. Mm-hmm. Uh, James Patterson is very involved in children's liter- literacy and has a previously existing project that includes scholarships called Read Kiddo Read that's very popular and, and well received by booksellers and by parents. But to me, this like, maybe I'm just being skeptical and you can tell me that I should have a more generous reading <laughs> well, of it. that's what I'm trying to think about but too. This, like... that, that the dollar amount is really not enough to make a big impact in the in the number of independent bookstores that we have in the country and that there's this, it has to have a kid's section. Like that piece feels a little pandery to Mm. me. And I wonder how much of this is, it's a feel good PR situation more than a, and and maybe his heart's in the right place. I will, I will generously believe that, um, that James Patterson cares about indie bookstores and wants to do something. Um, but the way that it's playing out to me feels more like a, like a warm fuzzy than an actual thing that's going to make a difference. Yeah. Like, cause one thing that might be interesting too, is if he used the money to set up some, I don't know, grants for independent books sellers to, I don't know, take classes or staff development or like on an ongoing basis to do some support yeah. of that kind, throw a million bucks at library. I don't know. Like, you know, you could go a whole bunch of different ways with this, but there's, so there's a deployment thing. And I think we both are also in tune to like, it's, I guess, a good bit of news for whoever ends up with some more cash in their pocket because of this. But it's kind of a super bad sign for independent bookstores that they're now the kind of business that people think they need to give charity to. Yeah. I mean, that's not a good sign um, on the whole. And even Sherman Alexie's thing. Oh, did we talk about that a couple weeks ago? I don't remember. Of going November 30th, he's trying to get authors we to go into We didn't, so we should talk about it now. Anyway, Sherman Alexie, um, a great uh, author, um, is a big fan of independent bookstores and notoriously critical of, I don't know if it's notorious, he's openly critical of Amazon, suggested um, that November 30th be 
a day where authors go into their local independent bookstores and be booksellers for a day as a way to sort of pump some juice and it, into those stores. It ties into Small Business Saturday. Small Business Saturday, right. Um, and again, it's another kind of along the same line of thinking, which is these are things that need our help. Um, and I, I applaud authors. If this is if you care about something existing, you have to do stuff like this. Like that's just what I, I kind of believe totally. that in a way. Like whatever you want to exist, do something other than just talk about it. Um, though talking you, about it also helps. Right. If you don't want Starbucks to be your only coffee option, then you go you down the street to, to the, the neighborhood place. place. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the, it, it feeds into this larger feeling that independent bookstores are kind of a nonprofit or semi for profit or something along that nature that I don't know if that's a reality or that's just the way that people are thinking. Yeah, you or... know, I didn't perceive the Sherman Alexie thing that way. I'm, oh, okay. I'm perceiving the James Patterson thing that way because it is about throwing money at businesses that are struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Sherman Alexie has has spoken uh, not just about being vocally anti-Amazon and about his appreciation for indie bookstores, but about the specific ways in which particular indie bookstores have impacted him as a reader right. and his career as a writer. Um, and so I read this as as this is sort of an Alexi wanting authors to give back because it's bookstores that are that build authors. Um, a lot of midlist authors, in particular, wouldn't mm-hmm. ha- say that they wouldn't have careers if if certain indie booksellers hadn't discovered them and hand sold their books. Um, yeah, Richard think, Russo has said that. Yeah, like, if there weren't a, independent bookstores, that he wouldn't have had a career at all. Right, that's a thing that happens, um, or that has happened. Maybe it is not a thing that will continue to happen as um, more bookselling happens digitally. But I read that as a let's give back and. As a, I know a lot of independent booksellers and that, and that authors ask a lot of them. Um, and indie booksellers certainly do a lot for authors. And so I, I read that as these bookstores do a lot for us. And for one day, we can go in and do something but, for them. Plus, it would just how be was, cool. So like, how was Patterson's cool. thing not that? Why like, are you Pat- skeptical of Patterson and not of Alexi going, we're going to go in for one day? Now I'm playing devil's advocate a little bit. Well, I think Sherman Alexi, I read Sherman Alexi's thing as a straightforward, like, we're, this is a warm fuzzy and we're calling it a warm fuzzy. Oh, okay. You know, like, it's it's tied into Small Business Saturday, but I didn't get that he was saying, we're going to do this so more people will go to the stores and buy things. Um, but but as isn't a, that the implication? I mean, it, if if that's not the idea, then what is the idea? Thank you for helping us, booksellers. By getting more people in your store, right? I'm, I mean, I'm yeah, not really I mean, sure. I guess I think it's a cool PR thing too. Um, and you think the Patterson thing? It feels like he thinks it's more than just PR. I, like this is actually going to do some like system. Like the Patterson good. thing to me feels like a PR thing dressed up as something more than a PR thing. Okay, okay, okay. That's fair. That's I could fair. be wrong. No, no, no. I, I understand what you're saying um, there. Uh, anyway, so that's that's going on. We'll see. There's a there's if you have an independent bookstore, you work for one, you have one that you're a fan of. Um, there's a website hidden uh, that you can go fill out the form and I guess be considered for to get announcements. I'm not really sure. Um, it is jamespatterson.com/booksellers. Uh, okay, let's move on. Where are we? Boy, we've we've we got to move along here. Um, got things happening. Let's let's get let's do author birthdays. All right. Okay, got two good ones for you. Uh, this week, William Faulkner, born September 27th, 1897 in New Albany, Mississippi. Um, this is a weird one. His name is not Faulkner. Well, it is Faulkner. 
He was born Faulkner, but not the Faulkner that you know. <laughs> I'm so super confused. Are you right confused? Now. Basically, he was born William Faulkner, F A L K N E R, no U. Okay. Um, but the uh, typesetter for his first novel screwed it up and put a U in it. <laughs> and when he was and he asked, just went with when it? he was asked if he wanted to change, he's like, "I'm good either way." So they just went with it, and he became That's William hilarious. Faulkner with a U. Can you believe that? Now I really want to know him. I know. He did not care. Let's put it that way about <laughs> Faulkner. So that's William Faulkner, who was born uh, 1897. That's his Ooh. birthday this week, September 25th. H.G. Wells also has a birthday this week. Uh, tomorrow. No, it was two days ago, over the weekend. But anyway, since we're podcasting from Friday today, and he wrote The Time Machine, it can be in the future. Um, September, <laughs> that's how you segue. Yeah, September 21st, 1866, over in Kent. In the UK, and I, I've got some juice for you. Mm-hmm. I've got juice for you on H.G. Wells. So not only did he marry his cousin, mm-hmm. um, and not only did they... Like agree- first cousin? Yeah, first Ugh. cousin. Um, and not only did he did fall in love with one of his students, uh, and then divorced his cousin and married her. Oh, boy. Um, and then not only did... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so uh, nervous about what's coming uh, next. Okay. Um, not only then uh, did she die, then um, he, with her consent, had a number of affairs with women. But listen to this list. <laughs> Margaret Sanger. Huh? Uh, the founder of founder the birth of control of movement. Control Planned movement. Parenthood. Yeah. Uh, feminist novelist Rebecca West. Okay. Had a kid with her. 26 years his junior. Hmm. Uh, he had a daughter with a writer, Amber Reeves, whose parents he met through the Fabian Society. Uh, and he said of himself, I was never a great amorous, amorist, though I loved several people very deeply. So H.G. Wells was a bit of a swordsman, it turns out. He had himself some good taste. Wow, man. He he went for he went for this the the interesting ladies. Swordsman is a nice euphemism, <laughs> isn't it? I'm just is there a lady equivalent? I, you know, I'm not going to speculate now because we could wade into some very uncomfortable territory. Readers podcast at bookriot.com <laughs> yeah. with your lady equivalents right. of swordsman. H.G. Wells, man about town, <laughs> Casanova, September twenty first, eighteen sixty six in Kent. Someday we're going to have a lady birthday and you're going to be like, she loved this guy and then she loved that guy and then she loved this other guy and her husband told her she could love as many guys as she wanted. Okay. I'm I'm looking for that. I'll be looking for that. (laughs) You know that'll be next week. And then we'll wish there was a movie about it and someone (laughs) will tell us that there was. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We got a couple more stories here. Uh, One big story that happened this week, let's touch on this just real Mm -hmm. quick. Is there a story came out about the new um, Harry Potterish movies, as I'm calling them? Potterish. Um, Harry Potterish. Uh, the story came about how um, Rowling was uh, convinced to write new movies, and apparently, the thing that sealed the deal, in addition to the truckloads of Scrooge McDuck gold coins that they surely are giving her, was that um, Warner Brothers agreed to give her final say. Um, on the script. So they're not allowed to rewrite her script after she signs off on it. So they've got to shoot it as she writes it, which apparently is unbelievable for a first-time screenwriter. Remember, she didn't write the screenplays to the adaptations of the Harry Potter novels. I believe Steve Cloves wrote many, if not all, of those adaptation screenplays. So that is a 
that you're going to, so what that tells me is one, she, um, she, she pulled him over the barrel to get what she wanted. Mm-hmm. And two, whatever we're going to get is maybe even more authentic rolling than the Harry Potter-ish movies, to be yeah. frank. Um, who knows if she had final say on the screenplay, how much Dobby we would have been inflicted with, but, um, <laughs> You don't know, or the Elf Liberation Front, or all that stuff that they were so right to leave out. But who knows? Maybe they, that would have meant a lot to her. But th- I think that's pretty interesting. And there's only a few authors that probably would have that kind of clout in Hollywood. Um, I think maybe if George R. R. Martin said he wanted to write a movie, he could get that. Mm-hmm. But the list gets short super fast after yeah. that. Um, maybe Stephen King, if he wanted to do that. Uh I don't know. Maybe, maybe any other ideas of who could, who has enough juice to get final cut on a movie they wanted to write? Who else I, could do it? E.L. James, could she do it now? I guess we'll see I how these not. movies do. We'll see how these movies do. <laughs> Call back. Maybe Suzanne Collins. Been, oh, yeah, Suzanne Collins. Yeah, Suzanne Collins. That would be good. Uh, what about Veronica Roth and the well, Allegiant, Divergent? Well, I guess we'll see how those movies do, right? The end movies. Um, Are those going to be giant hits? I don't know. Hard to say. I feel okay. Well, I haven't read the books. You have. I, I haven't. Read I haven't the, read the yeah. series, but the re- I've read lots of mixed reviews of them. So I think we could be in a situation with those where the movies are better than the books. Yeah, um, I'm not encouraged by the trailers, to be honest no. with you. Um, I'm not sure, but anyway, if there are hits, then she could probably get. It. But Suzanne Collins for sure. Could. Yeah, maybe. Um, J.R. or Tolkien and C.S. Yeah, Lewis can where time travel yeah, where they back still and or Ian get Fleming final sign-off. Right. Maybe John um, Le Carré could, maybe if you want. I bet you James Patterson could get it. Yeah, that's probably true. Um, um, Grisham, you, maybe? John yeah. Grisham? What about Margaret Atwood? Well, maybe? since she's had zero movies made. There's a movie of The Handmaid's Tale. And it clearly was a huge hit because I've never heard of it. <laughs> Yeah, so that's not, not a super good sign. It's not as bad go. as the Demi Moore Scarlet Letter, but that's not saying much. Mm, so you're saying you don't think old Nathaniel could get first, uh, could get final? <laughs> I, no, no. I mean, maybe if old Nathaniel had had final sign, yeah. you know, final sign off on that, it wouldn't like have happened. Just, what books just keep um, selling? Like maybe Shaben because he wrote, you know, he did some oh, yeah. work on Spider Man, that one of the first movies. One, well, the Wonder Boys film. Yeah, but good. he didn't. He didn't write. He it. didn't write yeah. it, but and he it wasn't a huge could. hit either. Right, can give you that kind of authority. You've got to be able to just swing Dollar Tree money branches around. Like they have to be so sure that what you do is going to make mm-hmm. money that they 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 aren't that nervous. Time traveled um, Ray Bradbury. Maybe yeah, that's interesting. That's a good one. Um, well, Mario Puzo. I mean, he's dead too, but you know, yeah. he wrote the helped write the screenplays for. One, two, and sadly, yeah. three is painful, right. that is to say. John um, Irving's written some of the screenplays yeah. for his books and then but again, has not chosen to let other people Yeah, Well, Cider House Rules. I mean, Oscar's it's a nice baby. little movie, but I mean, are you, it's like several leagues away from... That's just my crush on John Irving talking. Yeah, that, that, talking. that, that could be... Uh, that could be the case. So anyway, we thought that little tidbit would be interesting for you there. Uh, new books? Want to hear some... Fire away. Got some oh, variety, as always, this week. Uh, we got a children's book, um, Fortunately, The Milk by Neil Gaiman. 
I know nothing of this except that we love Neil Gaiman at Book Riot yeah. and that this has an awesome like elevator pitch. So I had to put it on here. It is a hilarious story of time travel and breakfast cereal. I mean, of course. <laughs> right? Yeah. I have no idea what that means. I, I know uh, a little bit more about it. Apparently the story is a father goes out to get milk for cereal mm-hmm. and um, a series of events befall him that lead him to places of different times and spaces. Ah. So it's a better twist on the old, um, yeah, dad went out for cigarettes 20 years Never ago. Came Never came back. I think, I think dad makes it back with milk or maybe without milk. Maybe that's, that's, you know, that's the big question. Is it the milk going to make it back? I am certain dad? that this is a Neil Gaiman book about what happened to the milk. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, okay. Sorry. Okay. So that's that. out. Yeah. Uh, fake book by Dave Cicerelli, Cicerelli. I'm not sure how you say it, okay. uh, but you first talked about this book oh, that's uh, right. on yes. our book expo show. When we, when we both first heard about this at book expo America, um, the author announced on Facebook one day that he was going to quit his job and head out West and like have a grand adventure. Um, and his friends thought some of them thought that he was brave and some of them thought that he was crazy, but no one thought that he wasn't telling the truth. Everybody believed him. Uh, but it was all an elaborate hoax, uh, for like, for the time that this went on, uh, he calls it fake Dave set off, um, in, you know, on this adventure, uh, heading out West to do things like TP an Amish horse and buggy, uh, and get kidnapped by a religious cult. And the whole time he was updating his Facebook profile with stories and information about this happening. And no one ever questioned the reality of it. Um, and the book is about how he pulled fake Dave's journey off and also what happened to him, real Dave, uh, while he was executing the big secret plot. And, and spoiler alert, what happened to him was that he became increasingly isolated mm-hmm. by having to keep this secret and by its implications, which is an interesting thing to think about. If you, if you were constantly updating your Facebook and people that you knew in your real daily life followed you on Facebook, then you would have to be isolated yeah. and stuck at home because you can't like bump into someone at the grocery <laughs> right. store. Hey, aren't you supposed to be out West? <laughs> right. TP, uh, I forgot my, uh, I forgot my, right. uh, hmm, uh, sorry. Uh, this is, it's the kind of thing that totally fascinates me. These little, you know, experimental journalism, social, uh, mm-hmm. social adventure things. And I will totally be reading that. Uh, and the next pick for new books is yours, Jeff. Yeah, and we're going to use this as a seg to our second sponsor, Audible.com, because I'm going to—I haven't read it yet, but I'm, I think I'm going to listen to this on audiobook. Um, mm-hmm. My Brief History by Stephen Hawking, his his memoir. Oh, um, nice. You you probably know him as the um, the great astrophysicist cosmologist uh, who wrote A Brief History of Time, which is one of the best titles you're ever going to hear for anything ever. Um, <laughs> That became a really great documentary that I fell in love with, um, which I saw at our beloved Liberty Hall in Lawrence, oh, Kansas. I best, saw it a couple times over there. Um, and that, that movie had a little bit of his own backstory, but um, Stephen Hawking for several decades has been living with Lou Gehrig's disease. Um, and just as he was becoming the mo- as famous as any um, astrophysicist or physicist, really since Albert Einstein, um, he was living in a wheelchair and using a relatively a very sophisticated um, means of communication as the only th- part of his body he can move um, through his own volition now is his hand to squeeze um, a button basically um, and he's got he's an amazing guy you know clearly very smart um, and so you're going to get some of his educational background but also as he gets his disease and then also the third act is kind of 
the the long history of his fame uh, mm. after a brief history of time, how it came to be, what kind of decisions he made, um, what happened to it after his own account of why that book became the you know the the astrophysics you know the the one that people know if you know an astrophysics book I've read it have you read have you ever read Brief History of Time it's really it's really remarkable I haven't I think there's a copy you know on a shelf in my house that's yeah. on that it's the it's on my Sunday you would dig it. list you would you would dig that some maybe someday I'll, yeah maybe I'll audio book that yeah so in my brief history um, I think I'm going to listen to it on audio um, I like nonfiction on audio. And I especially like memoirs on audio because it's written in the first person and, and you get inside of their head. So that's my brief history. That is out. I think that came out last week, actually. And um, I, I'm really looking forward to it. He's he has he shares Einstein's. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't I'm not even close to the same league enough to say if they're in the same league. Mm. But one thing they do share is a sort of mischievous warmth um, <laughs> that makes for good reading. Um, and I appreciated that about a brief history of time, um, and I'm I'm really looking forward to having more of that and maybe a little less math in my brief <laughs> history. So if you go to audible.com/slash book riot, excuse me, audible trial. What I say? Audible.com. Audibletrial.com/slash book riot. You can get a free trial membership, um, 30 days that comes with a free ebook. And you can uh, check something out there. And so that's my pick would be My Brief History by Stephen Hawking. Though I have not listened to it yet, I have all the confidence in the world um, that'll be interesting if you are interested in that sort of thing. Cool. Cool. All right. Let's end with bibliotherapy. Okay. Let's talk about bibliotherapy. I have a feeling this pushes many of your buttons simultaneously. (laughs) I have so many thoughts about this. So... Basically, this uh, it made the rounds a little bit. Yeah. Uh, we saw, or I saw it first on Gawker last week, and basically someone took a picture of a flyer um, that someone had put up in Williamsburg in Brooklyn. I can't remember uh, where it was. Yeah, the person who took the picture of it uh, is Amy Greco, who yes. uh, used to be at Kobo and now works at Goodreads. Right. So she is a, a publishing oh, friend. Oh, Prospect Heights, excuse me, Prospect yeah. Heights. Um, and this woman who, leaving the flyers named Lucy Sun is a self-declared book therapist. Mm-hmm. And she will, for the low, low price of $30 an hour, um, recommend a book for you based on, you know, whatever it is you're working on. And then spend some time talking about how you might um, relate to that book and use it to make yourself better. We will take the lessons you learn from the book and make a practical plan for applying them to your life. So let's say you've got a dinosaur <laughs> problem. And she's like, you know what? Jurassic Park. Right. Uh, and then let's, we'll, we'll talk about your feelings about We'll talk about, about your Jurassic feelings Park. about velociraptors. So, okay. Can we not, is there a way not to be snarky about this? We're doing a very bad job of it so far. Okay, so... What's interesting to me is if there are people paying her $30 an hour to find books for them right? and then to talk about those books with them, that says something really interesting about where readers are and yes. and the ways that we use books in our life. Very good. And I, a piece, I like that. And a piece maybe that is missing from, or not necessarily missing from independent booksellers, but missing from people's reading lives. Like what what this woman is offering is not the same thing that you would get at most book clubs. 
Mm-hmm. I don't think right. um, it's uh, talking about your situation, finding the right book to read and working together to make a practical plan to apply the lessons of the book to your specific situation. So um, I feel like this is a thing that readers who have friends who are readers do with each other for free. Um, last, Maybe. Like, um, yeah, okay. and, and in a less formal way, but like one of our fellow writers at Book Riot, Rachel, um, just hit her 30th birthday about six months behind me hitting mine. And so we've had some, we're good friends and we've had some conversations about mm-hmm. aging and turning 30. And, um, you know, my falling in love with Terry Tempest Williams book, um, happened around that same time. And so I said to her, like, there were things in this book that really affected the way that I thought about aging, um, and you know, getting older and what that means in your life and finding meaning in how we find meaning in our lives as we grow older. And so I recommended it to Rachel and then she read it and we talked about pieces of it in a much less planned way. Mm-hmm. But that's how the, that, that's how friendships between readers work sometimes. Um, if you don't have a friend who's a reader that you're also comfortable enough with to say, like, I'm having issues with this thing and, and what should I read? Then this is an interesting service. What's really interesting is that she doesn't have a background in therapy, which is, or in literature. So I guess she's just a person who loves to read. Maybe. Yeah. We we don't even know she loves to read. We just know that she has a background in economics. Yeah. Um, she's, She's good at finding books for people and she'll read them with you. She has a Goodreads profile. Well. Wow. With 246 finished books. Okay. Which. Who knows? About I mean, that, I think I'd yeah, want my book a, therapist to have more than that. <laughs> I, guess, I guess the thing that strikes me about it that's interesting <laughs> is for starters, um, I'm just not sure books work that way. Where, like, I'm having a problem with X, this book is about X. And I'm going to take the lessons I've learned from that book to make a practical three-step program. Yeah, like the, the most interesting books, like probably have as big of a problem with whatever it is you have a problem with as you do. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I'm not sure that it's quite yeah, the. There's so much serendipity involved. Yeah, and they're complicated most of the time. And I'm I'm not suggesting that I don't think books can quote unquote help you with things, but it's not programmatic and diagnostic quite like that. Right. With with self-help books or, you know, with some business books, that's exactly how it's supposed to work. Um, We're both disciples of David Allen's getting things done. Yeah. But if they do their job, you don't need someone to pay someone to help you figure this stuff out. (laughs) You don't have to talk about your feels about getting things done. Um, Yeah. It's interesting. The, uh, I kind of bristle at the notion of like, I will recommend a novel to you that will address this issue that you're having. And then we'll, we'll assess the lessons from this novel and how you can apply them to your life. Like, I think we bring so much novel that has a lesson in it. I've probably stopped reading. Yeah. And we bring so much of ourselves to what we read and to how we read that to predict that for someone else and then prescribe it is a, it is a big question if that's even yeah. possible. And if it's possible, it is a very dark art indeed. Yeah, um, right. The closest, I, mean, I think the closest we can come is like the 
like the conversation that I had with Rachel or like you might have with an independent bookseller if you know them well, um, where you are like, well, I'm looking for something like I've been sort of bummed because I broke up with my boyfriend and I'm looking for something that's also about like women in their mid twenties with relationship problems. Mm -hmm. And maybe they give you a novel that has an interesting take on that. And it just spins your thinking, but who knows how it's going to spin your thinking. Um, yeah. I mean, there's, or, there's or a couple how timing of so much to do with it. And there's a couple of suppositions to even say that book therapy like this is even a thing. That's not a joke, right? Let's just, right. Uh, let's just enter that into the record for one second. Right. The, 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 the two <laughs> things are is that the therapist would then have to have a sufficiently copious knowledge of available books, you know, yeah. that they could find one that's relevant and then have sufficient skill to turn that reading experience into something productive. And both of those seems extremely high bars um, to get someone to jump. And and here's the other thing. What's wrong with regular therapy? Right. If you, you, and I think you have to know a person really well to, to like understand truly what the issue is. And you'd have to have that knowledge of, of the right books for it. That's a, it, those are two big skill sets and finding an overlap of them. Though 30 bucks an hour and is pretty good for therapy. It, for therapy it is. But like if what you need is therapy, then go get good therapy. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. And therapists will recommend books to people who want to read something that ties into the issue. And it's a, it's a therapist's job to know what those books are. And they probably won't recommend that you read Cavalier and Clay to handle, you know, they're probably not going to recommend novels to handle mm-hmm. emotional, you know, struggles that people have, but they'll recommend books that relate to what you're going through. Um, in my previous life, I was on the path to being a clinical psychologist and we read all sorts of things and talked about books that you would keep on your shelf Um in a therapy office that you things that were commonly recommended to clients for various problems. So I think therapy is great. I believe in it. Um, I think books are great, obviously. Right. <laughs> I mean, there's a, there's I'm not it, so sure. I just don't know that we need this thing. Like this is, yeah. a, this is a service that a good, knowledgeable, independent bookseller provides. Well, they're not going to give, they're not going to give you an hour after they've just read it with you to talk. I mean, just, I'm just being honest. Yeah, I mean, but that's, do you want to just like make an appointment with a stranger and do that anyway? Well, that's I, what you do with their, I'm yeah, being devil's advocate to get a, I'm, yeah. I think there might be a kernel of something that's possible here, but it it takes such a confluence of skill sets that I just, it seems like unlikely that it would work. I put this through the ringer of my personal biases of like, in yeah. what, is there a situation in which I would choose a this bibliotherapist over either a therapist or a bookseller or a combination, mm-hmm. you know, a, like a one-two punch of those. And I just couldn't come up with it. Like, if you like really super personal personalized book recommendations, then shop in independent bookstores mm-hmm. and get to know your booksellers and they will do things like sit things aside for you when new books come in that they know you're going to like yeah. uh, or, and they get to know your taste and they can sort of peg like, Oh, that person liked these three or, books and here's the common thread. You know, you know what we should also, the, the other thing I kind of like about this is like, what if you could just pay someone to read a book at the same time you read it and then they have to talk to you about it afterwards. Like they don't call it therapy. Like they just have to talk to you for an hour about it. But that's what book clubs do for yeah, free. But like, do, do you not every individual gets to choose what book the mm-hmm. whole book club, you know right. what I'm saying? Like I want to read this book and I want to talk about it and I want someone to be there to talk about but, it. 
I don't want to talk about it with just anybody. Like, well, pay someone you do want. I, I don't know. I'm being silly a little bit, but <laughs> there's a part of me that kind of gets the that gets a part of it. I That's, sort of get. I, I get that impulse. Like, I want to read this thing and I want to talk about it with someone smart who, who has that I also trust. Just read it too. Who like has it's also fresh read in their it. mind. Yeah, right. but I would want to like. I would have to know that person and know that they were a smart person that I trusted and wanted to talk about that well, book. You take a shot. You take a shot once and you blow thirty bucks. If it doesn't it work, do you're out just thirty to bones. Like pick a random person to read the book <laughs> with me and talk about because then I'd be like. <laughs> but I guess what I'm saying is like there is that part of reading where you know it's it, it can be a, a very solitary pursuit. <laughs> And sometimes it would be cool if, like, I just finished this book and I wish someone had just read it so we could sit down and have a cup of coffee yeah. and talk about it in depth for a while. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think I it would think, actually ever work to pay someone, but I understand that kind of urge. Yeah, I think there are, like, nails to be hit here, but this is not the hammer I no, want for no. them. Yeah, I agree. I'm just... I just don't want to slag all over it. I mean, that's fun and everything, but it's, I don't know how interesting it's just to it's slag. Super, it's interesting. I, I really want to know like how long she's been doing this. I mean, yeah. who knows how long that um, flyer was up before Amy saw it and yep. before it hit Gawker. Um, now that it's hit Gawker, hopefully, like I kind of hope that some people have tracked this flyer down and called the woman and made some appointments. And that's right. um, I hope that somebody blogs about their experiences <laughs> with the bibliotherapist. Like yeah. This is the thing that I would... It's, I would follow you know, the story for sure. It sounds more like a a bad television show than an actual job. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Rebecca Shinsky, bibliotherapist. bibliotherapist. That's going to be on USA. Right. It can start Laura Linney as you or something like you know, oh, like something like that. Can we get Julianne Moore instead? Oh, right, because you've got coloring. Do you want to try to account for? <laughs> All right, that's a show. We're, we've been we've been going long. It was worth it. It was. It was. It was a good I'm already show. racking up links for the next one. <laughs> uh, you can find us at bookriot.com where we and our fellow band of book nerds write about books every day. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm reading Ape, and you are Rebecca Shinsky, and they can find you at Rebecca Shinsky. S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. Love how you do that. Uh, you can give us notes, podcast at bookriot.com. Thanks so much to Squarespace, squarespace.com for all your website needs. Enter code Riot9 for a nice little discount for September. And Audible uh, audiobooks, go to audibletrial.com slash bookriot. Get a free trial there. What else do we need to tell the people? If you got two minutes to spare to help us out, we'll have a short survey in the show notes, which you can find at bookriot.com slash podcast. Uh, it'll take seven, seven questions, about two minutes of your time. Uh, that'll tell us a little bit more about you and help us to identify the best and most relevant advertisers like Squarespace and Audible so that we keep, can keep bringing you cool and interesting services on the show. And if you listen to the show relatively soon on Monday, Monday or Tuesday, um, we've still got a poll up about your favorite fictional characters. We'll drop the link to that. We're gonna, we're gonna, those are gonna be revealed pretty soon. But you got a couple days left mm -hmm. if you want to enter your three favorite fictional characters. I picked mine. Maybe we'll talk about that on the next show or the show thereafter. Those are, that should be. I'm fascinated. I'm, I'm anxious to see. Yeah, I've been sort of perusing. Those. Did you look at it? Don't tell I me. I did. Anything. Don't, I won't. No spoiler, spoiler <laughs> horn. Um, all right, guys. We'll talk to you next week. Have a good one. Bye.